The sermon text for this morning is Romans 6, verses 19 to 23. I am speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. For when you are slaves of sin, you are free in regard to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit, resulting in sanctification and the outcome, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Oh, Father in heaven, I ask for your help now to speak this glorious word about eternal life and death in such a way that it breaks in upon our hearts with hope and joy and righteousness. Would you work in this room, Lord, to change our thinking where we think amiss and change our hearts when we feel wrongly. Lord, come, leave us not to ourselves, I pray now. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and let there be an anointing upon this word in order that people might hear it and believe and have eternal life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're going to focus this morning on the three contrasting pairs in verse 23. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the first pair is God and sin. The second pair is Gift and wages. And the third pair is life and death. But before we do that, let me put it in the big picture of Romans 6 now so that you will see how this verse works. You remember, Paul finished chapters 1 to 5 all about justification by faith, apart from works of the law. And then he comes at the beginning of chapter 6 and he raises the question, shall we continue in sin so that grace may increase? And he answers, no. How can you who died still live in it? He repeats the question in verse 15. Shall we sin because we are under grace and not under law? Answer, no. For sin shall not have dominion over you. So the whole chapter is all about nullifying that wrong conclusion from chapters 1 to 5. The wrong conclusion would be, oh, if you can get right with God by faith, then you can live like the devil and it doesn't make any difference. That's the wrong conclusion. 
So all of chapter 6 is not about justification, but about what we call sanctification. Becoming changed, really changed. So that you're more Christ-like, more kind, more patient, more loving, more tender, more understanding, more bold, more risk-taking, more venturesome with your money for kingdom purposes and all kinds of things that are more like Jesus than like the world. That's what chapter 6 is about. So everything in chapter 6 is functioning as an argument for, no, you can't continue in sin. No, you don't sin because you're under grace. All of chapter 6 is supporting that. Which means, that when you get to the end of verse 23, you'll see it starts with a 4. And you can trace the argument right back to the imperative of verse 19. Hand over your members to righteousness. Be slaves of righteousness. Be instruments of righteousness. That's the practical sanctifying goal of chapter 6. Justified people being changed into Christ-like people. So this verse, 23, is a an argument in that bigger argument. Now I'll come back at the end of the message and raise that, how it is, and I will say at that point, we don't have time to talk about it, that's next week, because I already know where we're going, and I know we won't have time. So next week, I'll try to close this chapter and discuss how it is that the promise of eternal life as a gift functions to make us more kind and less crabby and lots of other things. Okay, but today, let's focus on the three contrasting pairs in verse 23. Sin versus God, that's number one. Wages versus free gift, that's number two. Death versus eternal life, that's number three. Let's read it again. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, I tried to take these one at a time. I thought, I'll take them one at a time, I'll build a sermon around that, and I couldn't separate the first two. As soon as I started talking about Wages, I had to talk about sin. And as soon as I talked about gift, I had to talk about giver. And so here's the way we'll structure it. We're going to put the first two together. And we'll talk about wages and gift and God and sin as one point. And then we'll take the third pair. And then we'll draw things to a conclusion with that last phrase in the verse, in Christ Jesus our Lord. So let's take the first two together. Sin versus God and wages versus gift. Now right off the bat, a clarification is cried for here. Because I remember, I I learned this verse as a kid. Every Christian that grows up in the church ought to have learned verse 23 of of chapter 6. Because it's such a great clarification of the gospel. The wages of sin is death. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus But I always had a wrong picture in my mind. You may not try to picture texts, but I think this chapter leads us to picture slave masters and slaves and castles and desires and servants. Remember how we've been structuring that over recent weeks? Well, I always thought wages of sin meant... That sin is the action you do to earn the wages. So when you do them, you get the wages, and the wages is death, and that's bad news. 
I don't think that works. It doesn't work in the context of verse 22, and it doesn't work in the parallel with God in verse 23. Wages of sin, I don't think Paul means us to understand that as wages of doing sin. I think his picture is of sin as a slave master paralleling God as another slave master. And if you obey this slave master, he pays you wages. Sin's the payer here. Not the thing you do to get paid wages from some other place. And God is the giver here. Now, that, that's, the, that's what made me see this is because when I tried to parallel the two wages of sin and, and gift of God, I see that gift of God means God gives the gift. And therefore, the parallel would be sin pays the wages. And in the context, I, I think that's demanded because in, in verse 22 we read, But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God. You see the picture? Two slave masters. You get manumitted, to use the old language, from one slave master to another. You get indentured to a new slave master. So sin is one slave master. God is another slave master. You get delivered from the one and handed over to the other. And so the wages of the one is paid by sin and the gift of the other is given by God. That's the picture. That I see in verse 23. And this is so important because until we see that, the striking, startling things that we learn about God and sin will stay hidden to us. And I don't want them to stay hidden. So consider these two masters with me for a moment. The wages of sin is death. The free gift of God is eternal life. So slave master sin... Pays wages. Slave master God gives gifts. One master pays, another master gives. Now why is that important? Well, think about the difference between wages and gifts. Think of the difference. Put your thinking cap on and meditate on this with me. What's the difference between a wage and a gift? Lots of differences. A wage is something you earn. A gift is something you don't earn and you can't earn. If you earn it, it is the gift. A wage is a matter of debt and justice. Whereas a gift is a matter of beneficence and grace. You can take somebody to court for not paying you your wages. You can't ever take anybody to court for not giving you a free gift. Courts and laws don't function that way. Grace functions that way. Under grace, we get gifts. We don't earn wages. You deserve your wages. You don't deserve a free gift. If you deserved a free gift, it wouldn't be a free gift. That's the difference between a gift and a wage. You can't deserve a gift. And if you, like one young lady came up to me after the service and she was, you know, her mind was reeling. She said, oh, 
America is just so wired to think about our rights and our demands and our deserts. No wonder we can't get the gospel. And that's absolutely right. No wonder we can't get the gospel. You can't ever deserve a gift. If you deserve it, it's not called a gift anymore. And therefore, if you think of desert in your relationship with God, you're cooked. This caused me to ponder whether or not we should talk of our relationship with God as slavery. We talked about this last week a little bit. I almost, I almost totally reversed my thinking from last week. I didn't. I leave everything standing. But I'm going to say what sounds like almost the exact opposite right now. Namely, there is one ideal, perfect, and only one slavery in the universe. And that's the slavery of humans to God, their creator. And becoming a Christian and being reconciled to God is a homecoming of all the slaves into the slavery for which alone they were created. I didn't talk like that. Ooh, bad, bad, bad. As I said last week. The reason I do is this. Here is the one piece of slavery that stands and is true only of us and God. Namely, He owns us. If you're a Christian, He doubly owns you. We are not our own. We were bought with a price. So by creation, He owns everybody. By redemption, He owns all of His redeemed people. If he owns us, we are his, he tells us what to do, we do it, and there is no demandingness on our part at all. You do your duty, and you say, I'm an unprofitable servant. You know what that implies for slavery on the horizontal level? It's all nullified. Paul draws that out in 1 Corinthians. When you are owned by another, namely Christ and God... And he is your one and only owner, slave, master. You're not owned by anybody else. The, the very fact that I'm willing to use this, this ugly slavery image to say it's the ideal for which we were created in relation to God is because it so fully nullifies every other form of ownership slavery on the earth. We should have learned that in this country way before we did. If you are owned by God, you can be owned by no one else. So, it's a homecoming to our slave master, God, who owns us. Now, why is that good news? doesn't sound like good news when you stay at the level of slave master and slave. It doesn't sound like good news. The reason it's good news is that the one and only true slave master in the universe gives gifts, not wages. Nobody in this relationship with him 
relates to him in terms of wages. He gives no wages. God never gives wages. And for those who trust him, he only gives gifts. Only in Christ. In Christ Jesus, all is gift. All is gift. There are no deals struck here. There are no wages earned here. There is no bartering or negotiating here. There is only gift, 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 gift. And you put yourself in that kind of childlike, endlessly receptive position. Or you rebel. Or try to convert the gospel into an employment contract. Neither works. Sin, however, is a very different kind of master. He pays wages. Sin pays wages, or so it seems. And we were never meant, we were never created to be in that relationship. Nobody in this room, believer or unbeliever, was made to indenture yourself as a slave to master sin. He pays wages. Now, why is that bad news? Why is that bad news? He is so deceptive. He is so insidious. He demands and demands as a slave master. And all of his demands are pleasant. All of them. Nobody sins out of duty. You only sin because the master makes it look so appealing, so pleasant to do his bidding and to keep his will and do his commands. So when we obey sin, it feels free. It doesn't feel like earning wages. My guess is if you're here in this room right now and you're outside Christ, you're not a believer... And you're hearing me say that belonging to the slave master's sin is like earning wages. You're saying to yourself, doesn't feel like that to me. Feels free. I'm doing what I want to do and it feels good when I do it. That doesn't feel like going to work. So why does Paul call it wages? If sin rules over his slaves like that, why does he call it wages? Two reasons. One, wages deplete life. They do for you. That's why you want to get paid. Right? 
You don't put in 40, 50, 60 hours a week and say, huh, no cost to me. I didn't lose anything. You want your money and you ought to get your money. Because you were depleted. Time was taken away from you. Energy was taken away from you. Thought was taken away from you. Life was taken away from what might have been doing other things. And you invested it in that employer's cause. And now you want some restoration of the depletion called wages. And that's the way sin is. And he's got it all concealed. He's got it all concealed. It's like a Dracula who develops a magic potion which he gives to his victims so that every time they give a pint of blood, they get a high. And so he comes and says... Let me have your blood. You'll get a high. And they will. And when they get the high, they say, See? It feels good. I'm not earning wages here. I'm not being depleted here. I'm receiving a high. And all the while, your life is being drained away. The wages of sin is death. You get depleted. It's death now, little by little. Can't feel it. If he keeps you deceived. And in the end, all you get is the end of your life from sin. He never pays anything like restoration. He's a deceiver. So the first reason why he calls it wages is that it's like wages. Sin, every time you sin, you lose. Every time you sin, you are depleted. You're drawn out and it goes and it goes and in the end it will all go. And there won't be left one drop of blood in you. And your high will end. And never come again. The other reason is because when you obey sin, you get exactly what you deserve. Like wages. Death will be like wages. It's a strange way to describe death. Wages. Benefits. Benefits. Insurance and retirement and Whatever else, major medical. The benefits, what are they? Death. That's your benefits in relationship with this master. They're all summed up in one word, death, and you deserve them. He's a cruel master and a deceiver. And oh, how we should hate him. Do you hate him? Or do you love him? Has he tricked you into loving him? Loving him. Jesus came into the world, it says, and men love darkness rather than light. 
They loved it. Do you love your master, your liar, your deceiver, your depleter, your non-pay-upper? Who's got you enslaved? Do you love him? Or do you love God and hate him and fight him? Like this chapter says you're supposed to do. Let's go to the last third contrasting pair. Death versus eternal life. The wages of sin is death. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So the ultimate summary of the wage here of sin that he pays is death. And the ultimate summary of the gift here that God gives and doesn't pay is eternal life. And since the life is eternal in contrast with death, the death must be conceived of as eternal as well. And we could go to numerous texts in Paul to show that that is in fact the case. And right here, oh, how the parallel breaks down between slave master sin and slave master God. Because sin, slave master sin, has absolutely no say and no hand in the giving of the gift of life by master God. But God has total say and a sovereign hand in the paying of the wages of death from master sin. There's no parallel here. What you find when you think it through is, oh, he's a pretender. He's not a slave master after all. There's only one slave master in the universe and that's God. There's only one owner and that's God. There's only one sovereign and that's God. There's only one giver and that's God. And this rascal has been pretending to the throne of my life ever since the beginning and tricked and tricked and drained and drained. And he can't even pay at the end the wages of death. Sin doesn't pay the wages of it's a trick. He doesn't pay him. God pays him. It's like a pimp and a prostitute. Hell is the wage of sin. The way venereal disease and prison time is the wage from a pimp in the prostitute. He didn't pay it. He's gone. He's just gone. He tricks. He lures. He cheats. He devises. He distorts. And when he's done, the prostitute's got the disease. The prostitute comes before the court and goes to jail. And he's gone. He's gone. Sin is a liar. He even lies about his lies. 
He even lies about his wages. He can't even produce the bads, let alone the goods. Oh, how we should hate him. Oh, how free you should want to be right now from this slave master's clutches on your life so that you're not a dupe and a lackey day in and day out like most people seem to be. Hate him. Hate him. Hate sin with all your might as the master of your life. When he tempts you and lures you, and promises you and makes all his demands look pleasant to you. Throw it back in his face with the word of God. Get free with the mirror of the word. Know yourself and what you were created for. And what he's trying to make you think you're for. Let's talk about the positive side in closing. Eternal life. God's gift. God's gift. Eternal life. I love to talk about this. Took me back to the sermon that I preached. You remember when we began? I think it's toward the end of chapter 5. And it said in verse 21, where grace reigns through righteousness unto eternal life. Last verse of verse 5. And now we're at the last verse of verse 6. And eternal life is a gift in Jesus Christ. Chapter 5 ends the same way with eternal life. And chapter 6 ends with eternal life. And I put the two together and we talked about eternity. Let's just do that for two or three minutes as we close. What is eternal life? What is eternal life? Well, it's all that God can give us of himself for our infinite and ever-increasing and everlasting enjoyment forever. All that God is, all that He can give for our blessing, for our joy, He gives forever that eternal life. Ephesians 2.7 is one of our favorite verses on the staff here because it it describes the future that all of you in Christ have. It says... Christ made us alive. God made us alive in Christ. Watch this. So that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. It's going to take eternity, never ending ages of ages, for the kindness of the grace of God to be lavished on us in full measure. He will never run out of kindnesses to show you. He will never run out of new mercies every morning. It will take an endless number of mornings for Him to finish Showing you all the mercies that he has to give you. They are new every morning. And they will be in 10 million years. They will be new. That's what it means to be infinite. And you remember, we talked about that a few months ago. What is infinite? What is infinite? Infinite is something that 
gives and gives and gives and gives and gives. And when it has given for 10,000 years, is not less than before it gave. That's infinite. That's a mathematical conundrum for which we invent the word infinite. That number, which no matter how many things you subtract from it, never gets smaller. That's infinite. And that's your life in Jesus Christ. But what makes it especially precious is that he doesn't pay wages during that time. He only gives gifts during that time. Why? Because he's God and you're not. And he will stay God and you will stay receiver. And he will exalt his beneficence forever and ever. It's called the surpassing riches of kindness in grace in Christ. You can't hardly pile up more juicy words than that in one verse than Paul did in Ephesians 2, 7. And so... We close now by asking this question. If you want not to go to hell where there is conscious torment forever as the wage of working for sin, but you want to have your life extended, perfected into endless New mornings of fresh mercies which cancels out the possibility of boredom forever and ever and ever. How do you get it? And the last phrase of the verse is all important. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, where do you get this life? In Christ. So, final question, closing question. How do you get in there? I want in there. I want in there at any cost. Any cost of my life on this earth. I want in there. Because this life is short, small, teeny, weeny, weeny, barely discernible compared to that life. I want in there. So how do you get in? And the answer is, by the only means that accords with gift. By the only means that accords with gift. If in Christ all is gift, what human response accords with gift? Answer, receive. Or faith. If you're not in Christ this morning, there isn't a long, drawn-out series of things to earn wages that you're supposed to do. There is one thing. I now, on behalf of Jesus Christ, beseech you... Be reconciled to God by trusting your way into Jesus. That is, receive Christ and all God is for us in Him as your treasure and you are in Christ. Receive Christ 
and all that God is for you in Him, and you are in Christ. And in Christ, we have this promise. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Oh God, let none, I beg you, let none leave this room outside Christ. Lord, thank you for eternal life at Christmas time. Thank you that it's a gift and not a wage. Thank you that you are that kind of God in Christ Jesus toward us. And now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance, his forgiving, accepting, loving countenance upon you. And give you peace. And all the people said, Amen. You're dismissed.